Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday post-Thanksgiving. Hope you guys had a fantastic holiday with those you love ate a lot, napped a lot, shopped a lot, watched a lot of football. I did all of the above. Could not have been happier. I love Thanksgiving weekend so much, and I'm so sad that it's over, but I hope you guys had a fantastic time. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media on Instagram. I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, later this week, we are going to be joined by Senator Tommy Tuberville, who is going to bring us an update on his holds on the Department of Defense appointees. These are all uh, appointees to Pentagon positions, and he has placed holds on them since last February because the Biden team uh, had put into place an illegal pro-abortion policy. So he's taken a real stand here for life, and he's taken a stand for the law. And he's also taken a lot of fire as a result of it, but he continues to stand firm, even when Chuck Schumer has been in his face, and by the way, some Republicans too. So we're going to talk to him because he has actually forced Senator Schumer's hand, uh, and Schumer has essentially caved on a number of nominations. So good for Senator Tuberville. He is going to be here with the latest on that and the latest on this move for billions of dollars more of your money, money that we do not have and cannot afford to go to Ukraine. So he's going to be here with all of that next week. We're going to have the chicks on the right on this program. They are so much fun and I cannot wait for that. And we've got more big names and fun things lined up for the month of December. So do not miss a minute. Uh, Today, we're going to have the great Julie Kelly with us, one of the heroines of the truth of January 6th and the January 6th defendants. She was out there swinging long before anybody else, uh, taking up these cases, trying to get the truth out. And now that we've got more tapes and other things coming out, more people are getting on the bandwagon. But Julie Kelly really was the OG. She is going to be here in just a few minutes with the latest on what we now know. But first, the Monica Memo. So many viruses to kill people, accelerate the Great Reset, and stop Donald Trump so little time. I speak, of course, of the Chinese Communist Party and our deep state and the globalists who work around the clock developing new, more contagious, and dangerous pathogens to use as weapons against us regular folk whom they deem as deplorable excess garbage to be eliminated from an overburdened planet. SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, was just the beginning. The appetizer, if you will, of bigger, more lethal bugs coming our way. Made in China? Yep, you bet, obviously. Made in the USA? Oh no, Monica, come on, man. That's some crazy conspiracy theory. You have to be nuts to think that our deep state is working with the Chinese Communist Party to develop viruses to kill everybody. Alrighty then, check it. This week we learned that the FBI... And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as the CDC, refused to investigate 
a secret biolab connected to, oh, oh, who would that be? That would be the Chinese Communist Party in, wait for it, California. Yes, illegal, foreign-controlled, CCP-controlled biolabs in Cali. This week, we learned that the FBI and the CDC said no to calls to investigate one of these biolabs that we know about after it was brought to their attention by a building code inspector. A code inspector happened to be walking by this abandoned building in Reedley, California, and he happened to see a pipe sticking out. And the pipe showed some activity. I don't know whether that was water or hazardous materials or smoke or something coming out of this pipe where he said, wait a minute, this building is abandoned. There shouldn't be anybody in there. There shouldn't be any activity happening here. What is going on? And he took it upon himself to investigate. Unlike our investigative agencies, he actually did his job and went in the building and discovered, holy crap, holy crap, a secret, illegal, China-controlled biolab with some of the world's most deadly pathogens hanging out in a freezer. Listen to this. This is what we know so far. This secret, illegal biolab was operated by a fugitive... Chinese national who entered the United States from guess where? No, not the southern border, the northern border, Canada. We just had this discussion last week where we thought that that car explosion was an attempted terror attack as it was initially reported, and God knows what it was, okay? I don't believe anything that the government tells us. So, this person, this fugitive Chinese came into the U.S. from Canada, the northern border, under the alias David Hay, H-E. The Reedley California Biolab was run first by Universal Meditech, Inc., also known as UMI, and then later Prestige Biotech, Inc., both companies controlled by a man named Jaibei, or Jesse, Zhu, Z-H-U, Zhu. UMI and PBI were based in Fresno and Reedley, where one of these biolabs was. This is the only biolab that we know of so far, but I'm sure there are more probably sprinkled all over the U.S., maybe in your backyard. This guy, J.B. Zhu, previously had stolen millions of dollars of American intellectual property. Now, for decades, the Chinese have been coming after our IP, our intellectual property, in tech, in everything. They steal it, they transfer it, so they don't have to put in all of the money and the time and the resources into developing their own. They just steal it from us, and it puts them head and shoulders uh, above all other competitors except for us, but it gives them a leapfrog advantage to matching us in tech. So this guy running this lab had previously stolen, well, countless dollars in our IP, our intellectual property. His company, Universal Meditech Inc., also purchased counterfeit medical test kits from China bogus ones, and then resold them to us in the U.S., falsely labeled as made in the USA. So this guy's a complete fraudster. He is a straight-up criminal. He has no problem defrauding us and putting us in danger. He is an asset of the Chinese Communist Party, probably the PLA, the People's Liberation Army in China. He's probably an intelligence asset. He's probably working with all of them in Beijing. Okay, so this is the guy overseeing this secret illegal biolab in Reedley, California. Now get this. This guy, Zhu had received more than $2 million in unexplained wire transfers from China. So obviously, I mean, unexplained, I think we can kind of explain where this money (laughs) was going to fund this secret biolab on our doorstep in California. You know, it's bad enough when you've got 
biolabs working on dangerous pathogens in Wuhan. We saw how dangerous. Boom, the virus escapes or was released on purpose. I think it was released on purpose. And boom, within like three months, it has ripped around the world. So given the contagious nature of a lot of these pathogens and how fast they can move around the world, it doesn't really matter where they're launched, right? Because within a couple of months, boom, the entire world is infected. So we talk about, well, it's over in Wuhan or in Ukraine, there are tons of biolabs that we were also operating and, and Fauci was funding. It, people think, oh, well, it's across the ocean. It's way out there. It's in Ukraine. It's in China. Well, we now know that distance no longer matters because they have super engineered these things to be super contagious and move super fast. So this guy apparently received more than $2 million in what they're calling unexplained wire transfers from China. Maybe they're unexplained because the source of the money is unclear as everything in China is unclear but I think we're pretty clear on what the money was actually going for. The lab had 20 samples, 20 of highly infectious diseases, and a freezer labeled fatal illnesses. They literally labeled the freezer fatal illnesses. The freezers were of various temperatures to store suspected biological material, and the lab also had 1,000 mice genetically engineered to simulate a human immune system. So they were humanized mice. They do a lot of experiments on humanized mice and designed to, quote, catch and carry the COVID-19 virus. The man who operated this illegal lab also, as I mentioned, sold uh, bogus COVID-19 tests without a permit and took COVID-19 relief money. So the, the money that we in the Trump administration were sending out to help save small businesses and keep people who were employed by small businesses connected to their health insurance, trying to get Americans through the most acute part of the crisis, this Chinese criminal actually took some of that money for himself and his illegal Chinese lab. They also received millions of dollars from the bogus test kits. So they were clearly making money all over the place. Now, what did they find in the lab? Well, they found tons of vials in these freezers and I guess elsewhere. And the vials were labeled Ebola, HIV, and other highly contagious pathogens. Many of the vials labeled were in English and Chinese, but many were in code that have yet to be deciphered. So they clearly knew that they were doing something illegal and wrong in the United States, right down the street in California. So they labeled some of these in code. We need some of those code breakers from World War II to crack these codes. I'm serious. I mean, do we even have code breakers anymore? I hope so. And this should be priority number one. Now, Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin chairs the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, and he went on Fox News' Sunday Morning Futures, and he was asked about this lab, and I want you to listen to his response. The honest answer is we don't know. And what worries me in doing this investigation, uh, my committee conducted the investigation, we have a bipartisan report that explains the whole thing that Americans can read, is that if the FBI director or the president turned to the FBI director and said, hey, we need to figure out how many of these we have in the United States, they wouldn't even know where to begin. Here we had a Chinese citizen who came to America illegally. He was fleeing a $330 million judgment for intellectual property theft on behalf of the Chinese government. He set up this lab and he was buying dangerous pathogens, including Ebola, including tuberculosis, including HIV, online. So we have no trip guard, we have no trip wires in place, no safeguards in place in order to prevent potentially a hostile actor from buying dangerous pathogens in order to damage America. And then when the local officials found this, and it was all because a local and business a building inspector saw a pipe sticking out of what was supposed to be an abandoned building, they called the FBI. The FBI said, well, we can't investigate because there's no ties to WMD, which is absurd. They called the CDC. The CDC hung up on them initially. And it wasn't until the local congressman got on the case that the CDC was forced to 
send a team to investigate, and that wasn't until many, many months later. So this has revealed a huge, soft underbelly in our domestic national security. It's incredibly troubling. We need to do more to prevent this from happening. We've all seen what can happen to our society when we don't have vigilance against potential pathogens and a pandemic in the last few years. And we know beyond anything else, beyond anything else, the one thing that the pandemic should have taught us is that you cannot trust the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to this issue. So Gallagher and his committee have discovered that this fugitive Chinese national ran this illegal lab in California for years. Gallagher says that the CDC discovered the freezer, but, quote, the bags themselves were not labeled Ebola, though the freezer was labeled Ebola. They refused to even test the sample. Now, understand that your tax dollars go to the CDC. You fund the CDC, and yet they could care less about an illegal Chinese biolab on our doorstep in California, in our own country, with the world's most dangerous bugs just hanging out. A whole freezer labeled Ebola, and the CDC is like, "Mm, we're not interested. We don't think there's anything going on here, so... mm." We're not going to investigate. And in many of these cases, you know what? As Gallagher said, you're able to buy these bugs and this material online. Online. Gallagher is saying that's completely unacceptable. Seriously, why is it that you can buy these things online? I mean, do we have to question the obvious here? Why are these things allowed to progress? I think we know why. The answer is very dark. But still... You would think that our government that professes, at least, to care about us and our well-being and our security and the nation's security would at least make it illegal to buy bugs like this online. But no, no, they don't even pretend anymore, all right? Okay, so some of the deadliest pathogens known to man are being developed and stored and experimented with in some rando abandoned building in California by the Chinese Communist Party, our most existential threat. No safety protocols, no sterilization, no hazard gear, no quarantining, no nothing. Just a dirty abandoned warehouse where God knows who is literally playing God. Who are these people running this lab? How many others are there? Where are they? Who is funding this? Where did that two million plus come from? Where is that two million plus come from? And where is Governor Hairdo? He is set to debate Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis on Fox on on Thursday night. We'll keep a close eye on that debate. But where is Governor Hairdo? On this, I hope he's going to be asked about it. And if not, Governor DeSantis should certainly ask him. I mean, this was happening in his state, probably still is happening in his state. Has he been asked about it? Did he know? Has he been working with our deep state and the Chinese Communist Party? Did Governor Hairdo talk to Xi Jinping about it when Xi was in San Francisco? Is that what Newsom's little trip to China was really all about? So many questions here, guys. Our lives are hanging in the balance. After what we all just went through with COVID, how is this allowed to happen? Unless it's been designed to happen. Listen, you think about 2020, the release of a novel coronavirus, shut down the global economy, in order to shut down the roaring Trump economy, in order to stop one man, Donald Trump, and set the Great Reset back on track, you don't think that our deep state, that the globalists were working all hand in glove with the Chinese Communist Party, who had a huge incentive in getting rid of Trump, who was the only American president to take on the CCP, You don't think that they all had a motive to work together? Wake up. Wake up. And then people like Governor Hairdo, I don't know whether he knew about this or not, but the question should be asked, 
How is this allowed to happen in the state of California and God knows where else in America? These are the questions. And if you think, oh, biological warfare, nobody would ever do that. What do you think COVID-19 was? What do you think the experimental medications were? Oh, and chemical warfare, nobody would ever do that. What do you think the fentanyl crisis is? This is the Chinese Communist Party already waging biological and chemical war against us. And we've got a completely compromised president, compromised administration, and Democrat Party that is communist, that is aligned with the CCP, period. All right, let's hit a quick break. I want to uh, deal with a little bit of hope because that was a really dark segment. (laughs) So let's deal with some hope on the other side. And we've got the great Julie Kelly coming straight up. Sit tight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. In just a couple of minutes here, Julie Kelly is going to give us a fulsome update on January 6th. The defendants, what we now know, particularly from the newly released uh, tapes. She has been all over this story from the beginning. She is going to be here, so don't go anywhere for that. Before, though, let's talk a little bit of hope, but let's set it up um, with what we heard this week from the Air Marshal National Council Director, Sonia Labasco. All right. So she did an interview and she was asked about January 6, 2021, the Capitol riot. And she was asked about, you know, what is the TSA? What are the air marshals? Like, what was their role in all of this? And her two answers were incredibly shocking and surprising because what she has now admitted is that the Biden administration is still tracking literally everyone who traveled to Washington, D.C., to the entire region on or right before January 6th, even if they had nothing whatsoever to do with the Capitol riot. Listen. The only missions that we're doing are Quiet Skies missions, and those are missions that are following the January 2021 people. So we're either on the border uh, for illegal immigrants or we're following folks from January 2021. We're not doing our regular missions where we're out there looking for the bad guys. So right now on uh, most flights, you're not going to have air marshals. What do you mean by that? You're following January 2021 people. What does that mean? That means our primary mission is a little group called Quiet Skies. It's a mission called Quiet Skies that we're following people that flew into the national capital region in January 2021. You did not have to go to the Capitol or the rally, and you've been put on a specific list that TSA now has assigned air marshals to follow these people who have not had uh, any type of criminal investigation. They haven't committed a crime, but yet three years later, we're following the same individuals day in and day out. Okay, and then she goes on to say, look, even if you came to Washington, D.C. for like a job interview or a family funeral, the TSA is still tracking you. So you're saying that air marshals are now following people that were at the Capitol uh, on January 6th and they're not tracking terrorists at all. Well, they didn't even have to be at the Capitol, Carly. They could have just flown into the National Capital Region. So if anybody was there for uh, a job interview, to visit family, we even had a gentleman that was there for a funeral. They put it, put on this domestic terrorist list just because of their geographic location to Washington, D.C. So these people did not even commit a crime. They weren't even at the Capitol. So uh, it's completely outrageous, and I guess nothing shocks us anymore, but this is exactly how out of control your government is. The abuses of power run so deep, 
And yet we've got generally worthless Republicans in Congress who are not, and I know their plates are full with Biden and the border and Mayorkas and the corruption and big tech and everything else coming at them. But when you've got immediate, immediate abuses of power and immediate security issues like the biolab in California run by the CCP, these are urgent and immediate issues. You got to deal with those first. And yet the GOP, I mean, they're doing some things right, but they're such a hot mess all the time. This kind of abuse of power where the government is tracking you, you have no more freedom, okay? Freedom in this country is largely an illusion. This is why this next uh, year is absolutely so critical and we need all hands on deck. Freedom is an illusion in this country. And as bad as it is now, it's only going to get worse unless we stand up and push back. And we have been doing it, but this kind of thing where the government, the Orwellian, totalitarian, tyrannical government in Washington is tracking you. You flew to Washington for your grandpa's funeral and you're still on a TSA list as a potential domestic terrorist. Guys, Stalin is rolling in his grave and he's also like blushing, right? Like, oh man, I should have thought of that. Our government is now clearly tyrannical. And they make no bones about it. They don't even bother covering it up. Why? Because they control everything. They control all levers of power and most, if not all, levers of communication as well. So they can just push the propaganda or bury the stories, except for independent media like this show. That's why I'm so grateful that you guys are here because we are bringing you the truth always. All right, before we go back to January 6th with Julie Kelly, I just want to give you a little hope because I know we cover a lot of dark stuff here, but we have to because we have to realize how bad this situation is. But there are glimmers of hope around the world. First, last week, Argentina, the Argentinian people elected Javier Millet, who is a, a, a libertarian, he's an economist, he's a free marketeer, he's a former TV pundit, by the way. You know how Zelensky was a former comedian and TV guy? Well, Malay is actually like an authentic, sort of like a, a Trump, you know, they're calling him Trump of Argentina, same, same hair, <laughs> okay? But this guy is absolutely serious about making Argentina great again. He's actually coming to the United States, and President Trump should meet with him. Trump should have like a whole shadow government going until he can get reelected and back in office. He should meet with Millet. Millet and he had a, a Twitter love fest right after Millet's uh, uh, election, and uh, Trump gave him congratulations. Millet said, love you right back. <laughs> so love fest. What does Malay stand for? Well, he has promised to cut the size of government, abolish the central bank, which he may have already done, like in the last like week, if he's been sworn in yet. But that was like literally one of the first things he put out. He said, central bank, gone, gone. It would be the equivalent of getting rid of our Fed. Amazing. Uh, he said he's getting rid of the peso, because he's got to restructure the entire economy. He's the guy to do it. He's an economist and a free market capitalist. So he is the guy. He's promising to deport illegal immigrants, and he's promising not to deal with communists uh, in China and next door in Brazil. You know, Lula and the rest of that crew with their stolen election. It's amazing what kind of election result you get when you actually count the ballots within a couple of hours, as they did in Argentina. They did it. I think it was 45 million people voted in Argentina, and they had it, the, the results, or at least initial results, within like one hour. One to four hours. No time for shenanigans. No time for 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. ballot booty calls. All right? This is what happens. The people's votes actually get accurately counted, and the populace win. Malay also favors getting rid of existing gun laws. He is anti-abortion, and he famously portrayed himself as a lion, courageous enough to stand up to the nation's useless and parasitic political class, and he used a chainsaw as a prop 
when he expressed his disdain for what he called excessive government spending. This guy, he's coming to the U.S., and I want to know, can we keep him? Can we keep him? Even with the crazy sideburns, can we keep him? So Argentina, look, just a couple of days ago in the Netherlands, same thing. Geert Wilders, uh, a populist who believes all of the illegals and the migrants coming from the Islamic third world, bounce them. Bounce them. He won by a huge margin. He and his party. Unbelievable. They went after the farmers in the Netherlands. The Islamists are now marching in the streets against Geert Wilders, and he has driven a stake into the ground. Make the Netherlands great again. In Spain, hundreds of thousands are in the streets for weeks on end now, protesting the socialist takeover there. So all across the West, there are populist revolts taking place as the people rise up against the global Marxist revolution, the CCP's influence, the Islamists' mass illegal immigration, and the globalists like the World Economic Forum that are trying to destroy the nation state and all of our freedoms as they crush us into serfdom. There are real glimmers of hope out there. The people, us, we have had it. Not just here, but all across the West. So we've got them on the back heels, even though they control all of the levers of power. We got them on the back heels and they're worried. So good. Now is the time to press our advantage. Let's go. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Julie Kelly about January 6th. It's going to be an unbelievable conversation. Sit tight for that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I am honored and delighted to have back with us today a fierce, fabulous, and fearless warrior for truth and justice always, which is really rare in America today. So if you stumble upon someone like Julie Kelly, you make friends with her like I did. Julie Kelly is now uh, the purveyor, the author uh, of a fantastic new substack. It's Declassified with Julie Kelly, and you can find it at Declassified with Julie Kelly at Substack. You can also read her very important work at Real Clear Investigations. If you're not reading Julie Kelly, you should be because you're missing out on the truth and we all have to be armed with every fact we can get our hands on. She has always been a righteous warrior on behalf of the January 6th defendants, the vast majority of whom did nothing wrong or committed very minor infractions, and they have been left to rot in prison, many without due process, or given lengthy prison sentences over essentially nothing. This is a true crime against the Constitution, and I feel a true crime against humanity. And Julie Kelly has championed their cause when it was very unpopular to do so very early on and when she was alone. And I'm so honored to call her a friend, and I'm so glad she is back with us today. Hi, Julie. Hey, Monica. Thanks so much for having me on in such a kind uh, introduction. Well, it's all true because, listen, you are exactly what the founding fathers wanted in not just political leaders, but leaders of the country, citizen journalists, citizen leaders, people who see a grave injustice and stand up and fight on the behalf of those who don't really have a voice. And, you know, the left used to do this for decades. You know, we're the champions of the little guy and the voiceless. And now, of course, they're champions of the globalists and the communists and the elites, big tech, etc. and the little guy be damned. So you really took it upon yourself and set your entire life aside to champion their cause, literally starting from, I guess, January 6th. 
2021. What was it about what you saw that day and then the immediate and and now long-term aftermath that made you just throw your whole life into upheaval and say, I'm going to go champion these people and their cause? Um, I I mean, it's hard to believe this is almost three years ago that this happened and we're still talking about it and it's still such a a political issue. Um, My reaction watching it that day, it was in Florida, you know, after the holidays, my two best friends came over, we were going to watch Congress and the vetting of all the claims of election fraud, which was the plan for that day. So then as I saw everything sort of unfold, um, I didn't have the same reaction that a lot of people were having. First, it just struck me as odd because that's not how Trump supporters behave. Of course, he had had all these rallies, including two in Washington in November and December of 2020. Nothing like this happened. The only violence that took place was perpetuated by BLM and Antifa activists against Trump supporters who were leaving those rallies in 2020. So it just struck me as odd, but I thought it was just this emotional overreaction. You know, this is not who we are, and this is an insurrection. And I remember posting that day, Jacob Chansley was in the Senate chamber, remember? And he was at the the dais there with Mike Pence, and I tweeted, um, I think I'd rather have this guy run the country than pretty much anyone else. (laughs) Right on. So it was just like such a, it's like, wait, it's a Wednesday, it's a public building. Um, You know, yes, some people got crazy, but let's not compare this to the Civil War or some of these other crazy comparisons. But aside from that, afterwards, I started seeing the reports of how January 6th protesters were being treated, being denied bail. People like Cooey Griffin, the founder of Cowboys for Trump, he was my first article I wrote. February 4th of 2021, calling him a political prisoner, because even though he never went inside the building, committed no violent act, had a permit, as many as some groups did, he was arrested, charged and denied release simply because he was involved in the events of January 6th. So that really started, sparked my interest. And of course, I saw that happen over a hundred times in the course of a few years. It's still happening today. People being denied release um, for offenses, alleged offenses, nowhere, nowhere near what we saw in 2020, right? So that really sparked my coverage and then just took off from there. It, it literally did. And I was following you from the very beginning amidst all of the chaos. And I was like, who is this Julie Kelly? And and why is she doing such heroic work? And and now we know. By the way, everybody, if you're not already following Julie Kelly, uh, first of all, you should be reading her Substack. But on Twitter, you can get literally hourly updates on all of these cases, what the judges are doing in the Trump cases as well, which is another whole part part of this this uh, tyrannical process to crush all of us. But her Twitter feed is at Julie underscore Kelly, and then the number two, Julie underscore Kelly too. All right. So Julie, you have been all over these show trials and the filings and the sentencings, all of it. And this has put you in the crosshairs of some surprising people. Obviously, the left hates you. You know, prosecutors hate you (laughs) because you're exposing the truth. But what's really shocking, or maybe it shouldn't be, is that people who should be united with us against the January 6th tyranny, people like talk show host Steve Deese, apparently over the last week, you know, the two of you have gotten into it on social media. What is going on here? Yeah, it's really unfortunate because I've been on Steve's show many times over the past few years talking to them about the events of January 6th. And look, I mean, I'm as tough on social media as anyone, but when you take area disputes with, with friends and you blindside them, which Steve did, over really a tepid kind of snarky reply I made to Robert uh, Vander. Who was the political preacher? And he is a political preacher. Okay, he runs uh, a nonprofit, but he also runs a PAC. And this is the guy in Iowa who recently endorsed Ron DeSantis. Fine, I have no problem with that whatsoever. He ran for governor four times and lost. I mean, he you know is the evangelical kingmaker in Iowa. Great, no issue with that. The issue is that the DeSantis PACs tied to him 
paid this organization $95,000 that we know of to buy um, ad pages and a booklet. Monica, I've been in politics for a long, long time. I've sold pages and booklets for local Republican organizations or events. Never have I heard of spending upwards of six figures for ad pages or for dinner tickets or to buy a table. It's outrageous, but that's fine. The Santa's team did that. And when Ron DeSantis was confronted by Fox News' Brett Baer, he said, no, this wasn't a pay for play. You know, this was for tickets in the ad book, et cetera, et cetera. Great. So when um, Vander Platz made some comment about golden showers, it was a weird tweet. And I said, just tweeted back, hey, did you talk about silver? Any discussion about that? Of course, three pieces of silver. It was a snarky. It wasn't, I wasn't accusing him of anything. Well, Steve Dace, who's been friends with this guy for 15 years, and apparently he's above reproach, which we're told, um, even though there's story, his sto- stories of him over the past 10, 20 years shaking down Republican candidates and campaigns to get an endorsement. Um, so I, Steve Dace took great offense to that instead of being a big boy and texting me because he has my cell phone. And saying, hey, Julie, I know, Robert, this was uncool. Can you delete it or clarify it or whatever? He, Sunday morning, I wake up to this tweet from Steve um, saying that this tweet is beneath you. I've known him. You know, all these people are such holy rollers. We can't criticize them because, you know, they work for God. None of us, nobody else does. So at any rate, that he unleashed this just crusade against me. And this is from the DeSantis people. As I pointed out, though, Monica, it has nothing to do with this offhanded, snarky reply to Robert Vanderplatz. It has to do with my months-long criticism of Ron DeSantis's downplaying of the events of January 6th, the abuse of retaliatory prosecution of January 6th defendants, and more importantly, Monica, his ignoring his own constituents who are still being arrested and rounded up by this DOJ for January 6th. Florida has the highest number of defendants. They just arrested a few more Floridians a few weeks ago. He has been utterly silent. And families, defendants, and their relatives who live in Florida have told me multiple times they've reached out to DeSantis, to his office, his spokespeople, anyone to give them an audience so they can tell their governor what this Department of Justice and FBI has been doing with them. He's ignored all of those entreaties. That to me is unforgivable. It has been, speaking of beneath, not just beneath someone who is the governor of the state and claims to defend his people no matter what, but someone who is running for president. And part of this platform is he is going to take on the deep state and he's going to restructure the Department of Justice and FBI. We'll start with your own people then. So that was the basis of the attack on me over the weekend, which is still ongoing. But that's what they're upset about. My sense is that my criticism has damaged him as a candidate, damaged his campaign. Now they're trying to pivot to other issues to deflect away from that. But it's way too late for him. You know, I think people who may have been willing to look at Governor DeSantis as a real Republican candidate, as a real alternative to, say, President Trump, have been very disturbed by the fact that, you know, the country is hanging by a thread. We are subjected to this tyranny. And January 6th is is, uh, the perfect encapsulation of what the tyrannical government is doing to us, and that the DeSantis campaign has chosen to weaponize January 6th against Donald Trump rather than stand up for their fellow Floridians, their fellow Americans. And I think that's disappointed a lot of people. And they're coming after you. They're coming after the messenger for simply exposing it, for simply showing that the governor is, you know, has put apparently put politics and, and trying to win this Republican nomination against Donald Trump over the basic civil rights and due process of his own constituents in Florida. I think a lot of people look at that and just say, this is not acceptable. You know, the hour is very late in this country. And if you're going to play these kinds of political games, then you're not worthy of my vote. Am I wrong? No, I think that that's a big part of it. 
um, that he has not been forceful enough, that he will not talk about this ongoing uh, retaliatory abusive prosecution or anything related to what DOJ is doing. So I think that's part of why people are turned off. Look, I was a big Ron DeSantis fan. I thought how he came out of and there's a lot of rewriting of history of what happened in Florida during the lockdowns. I was, I'm in Florida now. I was here during the early stages of, of the uh, coronavirus. He did lock down this state. So the idea that he didn't is a, is not true. So I didn't like the rewriting of the history. If you want to say, yes, you are one of the first governors to sort of gradually start coming out of it. That's fine. But the idea that he bucked Donald Trump and Anthony Fauci, who he repeatedly praised, is not true. So I think, you know, the Ron DeSantis that we've seen on the presidential campaign trail is not the same guy who I think took on some tough challenges and fights in Florida and mm-hmm. certainly took on a lot of slings and arrows by the media. But uh, this is this is not who I thought I saw as a candidate a year or so ago. And look, this doesn't have to me, it doesn't have anything to do with Donald Trump, which is what the DeSantis people now want to make it. Um, this has to do with my ongoing nearly three years of work to give voice to the voiceless, those who are being persecuted, held in solitary confinement, sentenced to excessive prison sentences by these um, <clears throat> truly evil judges in Washington, D.C. as I cover these proceedings firsthand. That's what it has to do about. But they're so twisted now with hate against Donald Trump and anyone that they believe is aligned with them, that that they target otherwise people like me who were once allies. Um, I've just never seen a more repellent social media campaign for a political candidate than the people who are associated with Ron DeSantis. And you know what? I blame the candidate and those in charge because people would not be acting this way online without the full endorsement of the candidate and the people running the campaign. So it's really shameful. It's turned off so many people behind the scenes. I heard from so many people over the weekend and the past few days um, about what's happening with that campaign. And there's going to be a lot of people cheering uh, when he finally has to bow out of this race because none of this had to happen. And they have made some permanent enemies Mm -hmm. of people who are one-time friends and allies. Yeah, it's so unfortunate, really uh, unforced errors and and really unfortunate to destroy a once promising political career. You know, one of their lines of attack, Julie, is that President Trump didn't pardon uh, the nonviolent January 6th defendants when he had the chance when he was still office um, and has not paid any of their legal expenses. What do you say to that? First of all, it's a red herring, the whole pardon issue. And this is what you see the DeSantis people doing to pivot away from the fact that Ron DeSantis has not said or done a thing to for his own constituents. Apparently, Donald Trump did ask Pat Cipollini and whoever the White House counsel was at the time people were leaving left and right if he could pardon the nonviolent January 6th people who had been there. And he was advised by White House attorneys, no, you cannot do that or you shouldn't do it. But even taking that away, I've asked these DeSantis people, what would the pardon look like? So they've crafted this imaginary pardon that says, okay, I, Donald Trump, will pardon anyone for any crimes related to January 6th, except for those who were involved in violence or destruction of property or aiding and abetting. Okay. So because they haven't covered anything related to January 6th, I have pointed out this covers not basically none of the crimes that these people have been accused of. Aiding and abetting conspiracy, aiding and abetting assault on police officers, aiding and abetting destruction of property for people who didn't touch anything has been a very common charge. Furthermore, Monica, do these people really think that a pardon issued by Donald Trump, an unprecedented pardon, For a group of people with nonspecific offenses, that would be the first time anything like that had been happening in American history, that that would have survived legal challenges in the D.C. federal court system. Mm -hmm. It's preposterous. So this is a desperate measure by them to, again, deflect away from Ron DeSantis's mishandling of January 6th and blaming Donald Trump. But what really sickens me the most is this gives DOJ a pass. 
The idea is that the prosecution of now the 1,200 and counting Americans and the torment that they are enduring is not Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, or Matthew Graves, the DCOS attorney. It's not their fault. It's Donald Trump's fault. That's what I find the most offensive. It really is. I mean, it's just outrage piled on outrage. Um, All right, Julie, so the previous speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, released some hours of the January 6th footage to Tucker Carlson. We all uh, saw that, but he held on to all of the rest. We have a new speaker now, Mike Johnson. He's released about 90 more hours, so we've really only seen a tiny sliver of this 40,000 hour, 40,000 hours of uh, footage from that day. What do you think we have learned from the new footage? I mean, we've seen them firing rubber rubber bullets into the peaceful crowd. We've seen uh, Capitol Hill police, I guess, uh, throwing an elderly grandmother down the steps. Can you put what we've recently learned about the new footage into context? I think more broadly, Monica, people are waking up to the very carefully crafted narrative that the Democrats, establishment Republicans, the corporate media, and of course, the J6 committee, um, the the American people were not exposed to the full truth. That is why the thousands of hours of surveillance video has been under a blanket protective order since early of 2021. And that's why it's been so difficult to pry this video away from Capitol Police and the Department of Justice claiming, you know, it's a national security risk if we release it. Well, now people are like, well, it wasn't a national security risk. You are covering up major parts of the story of the account of January 6th. So the American people can only see one side of it. So I think that that is the biggest takeaway. But on a granular level to what you're talking about and something that I've covered since April of 2021. Monica, I remember the first time I got a video from a January 6th uh, political prisoner, Cash Kelly. He was in the D.C. Gulag, and he got me a video from his cell phone um, that showed police throwing these flashbangs. I didn't even know what a flashbang was. These stun grenades into the crowd outside into women and children. And I thought the video was doctored, right? Because I thought at that point I'm being set up. You know, people are going to set me up uh, to kind of catch me in, in in a lie about what happened. But I went over and over it, and then I went to Parlor which is one reason why Parler was immediately deplatformed because there were videos all over archived Parler posts that showed the police attacking protesters that afternoon, people who were doing legitimately nothing wrong. They were just walking up from Trump's speech. They had no idea what was happening. And, you know, they see people being gassed. They see people who have been shot with rubber bullets. They hear these flashbangs going off in the crowd so what I so I've been covering police brutality. I've called January 6th the biggest incident of police brutality since the civil rights era. And this is what people are really shocked by. Not just seeing police indiscriminately firing tear gas, firing rubber bullets, throwing stun grenades into the crowd, but these beatings and shoving and physical confrontations with men and This is how Roseanne Boylan died. This is how, obviously, we know Ashley Babbitt died as a result of lethal force. This is how another man died after being hit with a stun grenade. You are not supposed to hit those, throw those from a higher platform where police were down into a crowd indiscriminately. These people weren't attacking police officers. They weren't attempting to, you know, go find Nancy Pelosi or hang Mike Pence. A lot of them were just standing there. That is what prompted all of the violent clashes that you then saw between protesters and police. Of course, we only saw that side of it. We only saw protesters shoving police or screaming at them or hitting them with things because they had been assaulted. Provoked. I think rubber bullet was fired at 107 that afternoon. Provoked on purpose. As one person called it, it was a police riot. Mm -hmm. It was a riot started by the police. And that is now undeniably true. So what do we know so far about the Fed's involvement in all of this? We all talk about a Fed surrection. We talk about Ray Epps 
Um, and I noticed last week there was a hearing and Congressman Clay Higgins, who I believe is a former sheriff, um, he had Christopher Ray in front of him, the, the FBI director, and he asked specifically about ghost buses. And of course, the Democrats cut off the line of questioning before Ray could really answer. But he put up a picture of a couple of buses and he said the buses uh, allegedly were contained just full of FBI informants, operatives that infiltrated the crowd. Can you break down, Julie, what we know so far about the Fed's role in all of this? Well, we have a lot more to learn, including myself. And this is why the FBI won't answer any questions. And this is why the January 6th committee didn't even bother to interview FBI Director Christopher Wray. Mm -hmm. The January 6th Select Committee did not interview Stephen D'Antuano, who is the head of the Washington field office on January 6th, freshly promoted from the Detroit FBI field office responsible for the Whitmer, what I call, fednapping hoax. They didn't interview either one of those men. Now, why? Because you might have had investigators on that committee, or we would have found out later that no one even asked about confidential human sources, also known as informants. So, But now that the trials have taken place, especially trials for the so-called militia groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, we know for a fact, because the government has admitted it, that there were confidential human sources working for the FBI in both of those groups. In the Proud Boys, the government admitted at least eight confidential human sources had been embedded in the Proud Boys before and on January 6th, including a few, and I reported on this myself, including a few who are involved in unlawful activity on January 6th. We have it on tape now. Um, So there's still a lot more to learn about how many were involved, what they did, what their handlers were telling them or what their handlers were being told by the informants. Um, I know Donald Trump, I just posted this yesterday, I believe, is asking for his January 6th trial that begins in March. As part of discovery, he is asking the government for all information, records, and documents about uh, FBI informants. Now, I'm sure Judge Chutkin will deny that, um, but the American people really want to know how many FBI informants or undercover agents were involved. Um, but that's just one part of the story. We know that there were other, we, we've seen now Metropolitan Police, D.C. Metro, undercover officers dressed like protesters, chanting with the crowd, climbing scaffolding. We need all of those undercover or informants somewhat identified so we can see Well, we see the violence here. We see this person. Oh, but that person is an undercover agent. Oh, but that person is a CHS. So that's just one more part of the story, which, Monica, is why I really think Republicans need to form their own January 6th committee, demand and subpoena these records, get these officials under oath on television, right? Publicly, I mean, nationally televised hearings like the J6 committee did. And if they won't answer the question, then show the American people how and why they won't. Yes. I was just going to ask you about a new... Well, I guess the January 6th committee is still... It's still um, active, I, I guess, formally. It's like still active. So all they would have to do is reconstitute it with a different composition. Obviously, no Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney. But I think they still have authorization. And so they can reconstitute it and actually get to real answers. Remember the last January 6th committee, Julie Kelly, they actually had a former top producer from ABC News uh, making it like a huge Hollywood production. And our side is just, I, I know people who have been talking to members of Congress about this. Our side is always a hot mess and they don't quite understand the value in putting on a show. Um, I think they understand the value of getting to the truth and putting the facts out, but you've got to do it in a way where the maximum number of people will be paying attention. And our side just seems like it's not, they're not focused on that. And I know they've got a lot on their plate, but are you confident that we will get another January 6th commission to really uncover the truth? 
Well, the Democrats January 6th Select Committee automatically dissolved uh, after the last session of Congress. So they would have to reconstitute or, or form their own January 6th Select Committee. I don't have a lot of hope that they'll do that. Um, we still need a lot more of the videotapes released. I mean, it was nice that we got a few hours released, you know, now almost two weeks ago. They need to keep releasing that on a rolling basis mm -hmm. um, to keep the momentum going. I don't have a lot of hope that they will. Now, the flip side of that is that the House Administrative Committee, <clears throat> I think, is still doing a lot of uh, investigations into the role of police, uh, into the role of federal agencies, the discovery of evidence that ha is missing from the committee. So um, I, I think that's ongoing. But look, that's not a high profile committee. The Weaponization Committee that we were told was going to be the next church committee, they haven't met since July. Mm. So, you know, this really has been a lot of missteps uh, related to not just January 6th, but the entire weaponization of DOJ and the FBI. There have been some interesting revelations on a piecemeal basis, but this needs to be a comprehensive, ongoing pressure campaign against the DOJ, the Biden regime, the Democratic Party, um, and, you know, to defend these people and exonerate these people whose lives have been destroyed uh, for what happened four hours almost, you know, now three years ago. Before we let you go, Julie, um, you had tweeted the other day, I guess it was last week before Thanksgiving, a specific case of a January 6th defendant named Gross Close where the judge in that case, they have a special needs child, and the judge in this case is blocking them from actually accessing and using some money that they raised through a GoFundMe privately for their family, I guess for legal bills or what else. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit about that case so the audience has an idea of what you know? so many January 6th defendants are, are facing? Yeah, this just speaks again to the cruelness, the cruelty, and the soullessness, in my opinion, of these federal judges. Mm -hmm. This judge is Judge Chris Cooper, who is an Obama appointee. He married a top chief for former Attorney General um, Eric Holder. And he and his wife were actually married at a ceremony presided over by Attorney General Merrick Garland. This is the sort of deep state connections that all of these judges and prosecutors uh, have with each other. So Jeremy uh, Gross Close is a man from Virginia. He has two, two young special needs children. Uh, he was convicted by Chris Cooper at a bench trial. You know, this is a Hobson's choice. Do you go to a jury trial where they have a 100% conviction rate? Not one January 6th defendant has been acquitted by a D.C. jury, amazingly. Um, or do you go to a bench trial and hope for mercy? Because either way, you're, you're screwed. So Judge Cooper um, convicted him of numerous offenses, nonviolent. He wasn't convicted of assaulting police in any way. Jeremy Grossclose had created a Give, Send, Go account. I shared it. A lot of um, high volume uh, Twitter accounts shared it as well. He raised, I think, close to $40,000 in a few weeks time. When he was convicted, the prosecutor, the assistant U.S. attorney, asked Judge Cooper to prevent him from using any of those funds because now he was convicted and he should be forbidden from using those funds. And Judge Chris Cooper, in an oral order, consented to what this DOJ asked. Now, the fund was not created by Jeremy Gross Close. It was created by his common-law wife. They've been together, I guess, since they were teenagers, not married, but have two children. She created the account. She needs the money for travel expenses. You know, I mean, this is very costly. It's it's actually life-destroying, these prosecutions. Um, but this is... This is what is happening in these courtrooms. And I've also seen judges look at give, send, go accounts that have raised anywhere, you know, a few thousand dollars to five figures and imposed a fine in that amount, forcing the defendant, instead of using it for legal fees, instead of using it to help support his family because he's lost his job and everyone's abandoned these people, um, they have to pay, hand that over to the government. This is a sort of depravity that is coming out of the federal courthouse in our nation's capital. The abuses of power are just 
absolutely staggering. And I, Julie, it's often been said the process is the punishment. And while that's true, the punishment is also the punishment. And the cruelty is the point. I mean, this absolute sadistic glee that so many of these prosecutors and, and attorneys and judges and juries have in prosecuting the, their fellow American is just mind-boggling to me, and it's really evil. Evil is the only word. I mean, this is a spiritual battle on top of everything else. And when you hear cases like Mr. Grossclose, it's clear how evil uh, this really is. So I I, I retweeted your uh, tweet on Mr. Grossclose because I was so appalled by this. But this is one case out of many that that are going on and that these prosecutors and judges are just sticking it to these people, nonviolent, average Americans who just love their country and came to Washington, D.C. that day and have now had their lives wrecked. And all of this, this is all a messaging event. It's obviously to destroy their lives, but it's a messaging event to the rest of us who love our country and want it back. Don't even try it because we will destroy you too. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, the shame of it all. Well, thank God for people like you, Julie. You were really an angel sent from above for all of these January 6th defendants, but for the rest of us, too, for bringing to our attention everything that's going on, all the facts, all the truth. It's really disgusting, and it's going to be a very heavy lift to turn this corruption around. Corruption is almost always incestuous, as you point out constantly on Twitter. The judges, the prosecutors, they're all in bed with the DOJ, and Merrick Garland is presiding over their wedding, and the the fact that so many conflicts of interest are allowed to just sit and go on is also an incredible abuse of power and, and measure of deep corruption. But Julie, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for staying on top of all of this for us. And I hope you'll come back. Oh, I definitely will. Thanks so much, Monica. Thanks for having me on and covering my work. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Everybody, follow her work. It's so important at Declassified with Julie Kelly at Substack. And also you can see her work at Real Clear Investigations. You should be reading her every day, following her on Twitter at Julie underscore Kelly, and then the number two, Julie underscore Kelly too. All right. Wow. What a huge show, guys. Thank you so much for being here and checking out our terrific sponsors. Have a good start to your week, and I will see you right back here on On Thursday, we're going to be joined by Senator Tommy Tuberville, and we're going to have so much more to cover. Don't miss a second of the Monica Crowley podcast. I'll see you then. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.